Hi guys, welcome to Thrive, the podcast from the John Good Group, looking at the good, bad and ugly of family business. Today we're joined by Gavin Howarth, uh, Managing Director and Owner of Howarth, the HR and Law Specialists. Uh, today you're going to hear Gavin's story and the, how the succession came about between uh, the passing of the business from his father to himself. I think you'll find Gavin incredibly thoughtful and reflective in terms of his own journey and just how uh, the family unit moved through the process of succession. Uh, and I think there's some really interesting takeaways. So sit back, relax, and you will find uh, Gavin and I talking about Gavin's favorite topic, LinkedIn, as we jump into the podcast. See you on the other side. Um, I'm going to start, Gavin, with a very personal question. It's something I've always wanted to know. Okay. Um, how are you as good on LinkedIn <laughs> as you clearly are? I need to know the answer to this, and all the viewers and listeners will also want to know it. I've heard your staff call you Mr. LinkedIn. So come on, t- tell us the secret. <laughs> I don't know if I have a secret sauce, really. Right. Um, I suppose I've been doing it six, seven years. Made a lot of mistakes. Right. A-, a lot of posts which I now read from three or four years ago and think, that is horrible. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like anything, you keep posting, um, keep iterating, keep learning, you start to figure out what works, and then LinkedIn changes the algorithm and you have to rethink yeah. what works. But I just, I try not to overcomplicate it and try and be as authentic as possible. I did a post a couple of years ago, which was about that, which was, there's lots of tips and tricks and hints and strategies about how you can link to, you know, use LinkedIn. Yeah. Don't comment on your own posts, post on a certain time of day like your own post, don't like your own post, put a selfie picture, don't put a selfie picture. And those help, And you, but at the end of the day, it's is the content half decent mm-hmm. and interesting to read? Yeah. I just try to stick to that. And So how much time do you put into it? Not that much. I have a file in my Outlook, which is like a LinkedIn graveyard of all the posts that I've come up with, usually in the middle of the night, or the night before, which I think are awesome at the time, and then I reread in the morning. <laughs> no, that's terrible. Um, not that much. Not that much. I just they just come to me, and often when I'm not trying, you know, it's when you try and force an idea. Yeah. I can't think of anything. But the engagement you get is through the roof. It's it's really, really, actually, really impressive. Relatively, have you found? <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, being authentic. We'll come back to that. Yeah. But but does that has that helped build business and just get the Howarth name out there? And Definitely. You, you know that for a fact. Hundred percent. Okay. So give 100%. me an example of how we know that. So um, many different ways. So I've had people send me a message on LinkedIn. Probably got two in the last two weeks who have never liked or commented on any of my posts, mm-hmm. so I don't I don't recognise the name, who message me and say, I follow you on LinkedIn, really like your posts, um, we're looking for some HR, health and safety support, can I give you a call? Amazing. So that's, that's happened quite a few times, but then more than that, a lot of what I post about is about culture, it's about people. So what I'm trying to do in a way is create an employer brand proposition online, I fling the doors open to Howarths, mm-hmm. be as transparent as possible about who we are, what we are, what we stand for, what we believe in, the work we do, and create a queue of people outside the door that want to work here. Yep. And I probably get a message every four to six weeks from somebody saying, 
when you have a job opportunity, let me know. Okay, so staff attraction yeah. as much as customer attraction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the outward facing bit. What does the team say about it all? Uh, and how comfortable are they with your full transparency? I think in the main quite comfortable because we have a really good culture, really open. I do say to the team a lot though, because this goes back to the authenticity point, if you ever see a post on LinkedIn where I've got ahead of myself or you know, it's not 100% true and verifiable in your opinion, just call me out. Okay. Like, say, Gav, that in... Yeah. You know, like, so and that's how often does that happen? Not happen. It's not, I know. <laughs> it's not, but I'm trying to make sure that you don't kind of lose yourself in the whole game of LinkedIn and make sure it's still really authentic. Yeah. I must admit, getting the pictures are a bit tricky every now and then. Okay. <laughs> because no one likes the Who photograph the taken. <laughs> I'm like wandering around the office. Anyone want a picture this morning? <laughs> no, and everyone's head down. <laughs> um, but in the main, no, really well. And I think... There's also an angle of the team seeing a lot of my kind of inner thoughts. Or th- th- I think there's a, there is a retention piece to it as mm-hmm. well and um, a sort of inadvertent communication piece with your own team because they all see the posts. Yeah. Um, and it helps them, I think, as well. Yeah. Embed what we're all about. And the culture that you've been building over the last few years has created a growing, successful business. Um, so just give... Um, the audience a little flavour for how the business is today yeah and then tell us the story okay yeah so as of today there are 34 of us I think in the business Um, we have three service areas HR what we call HR growth Mm -hmm. employment law health and safety and we also do a little bit of business immigration work okay and then we have our charity the Howarth Foundation which helps those who are um, at risk of homelessness or suffering from homelessness get back into employment. Mm-hmm. And my dad runs that, which I'm sure we'll come back on to. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been 20 years in business this year. Work with about 750 SME businesses, from those with five staff up to the biggest, maybe about 750 staff, mm-hmm. anywhere in between. Um, so that's the pen picture today. Where we started... 2003, um, my mum and dad, Andy and Helen, started the business. Mm -hmm. Very quick history was that my dad is from a one-parent council house in Leeds. Um, Tough upbringing. Yeah. Did 30 years in the police from 19 to 49. Had a good police career. Yeah. And retired at 49, 50. 49. Started the business at 50. Okay. Got his A-levels and law degree in the last four years of his police career. So I went to college on a Tuesday and Thursday night for four years while he was still working. Got his A-levels. So got his he knew degree. he needed a second career or wanted a second wanted, career? Wanted, yeah. Okay. Wanted a second degree. Always had, always had an interest in law. Yeah. Always had an interest in business. Mm-hmm. I think he would say that um, not always the opportunity to do it. You know, particularly when he was younger and his background, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you get kids, me and my brother providing for children, etc. It becomes more difficult to sort of just jump ship. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, fifty-year-old started the business. And what what I'm most proud of, and I think what's most remarkable about mum and dad's story. So it started at home. Yeah. In the living room. Is that they had no business, previous business knowledge, no business contacts. 
And what had your mum been doing up to that point? Mum had had um, part-time jobs in the post office, or she'd worked at the bank. Okay. Um, looked after me and Chris. Yeah. Um, so mum joined dad, believed in the vision, helped him out particularly with all the numbers side of it, mm-hmm. and they set off together. But nothing but a phone, one phone, one computer, no business contacts, no real business experience mm-hmm. at 50. Amazing. Off, off yeah. the went. yeah. So, yeah, really so proud. they're working out of their house. Yeah. Talk to me about those first couple of years in two ways. One, the business journey. And two, I'd be really interested to hear if you can remember back to what you were thinking during that period, watching your mum and dad do these things. Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, my dad and uh, mum, Helen, would be best place to give that, that first part of the story. But... You know, I, I did work over a lot of summers in the business before okay. I joined properly. As, yeah. as you know, as you're doing a family business, it's a way of life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And everyone's involved ultimately. But the, the early days were, you know, I remember mum having a little um, book, like I, I suppose, would you call it a ledger with with a line down the middle? You know, money in, money out, yeah. you know, 100 quid in, <laughs> 20 quid out. Yeah. And, you know, really, like, that's how it started. Uh-huh. Um, and what my dad used to do is rent a build like a, an office mm-hmm. set a room put on a seminar and yeah. seminars weren't as prevalent then as they were now yeah try fill the room with people talk about employment law mm-hmm. you know if there's 20 people then five might want a conversation afterwards two or three might turn into clients you know do that again and yeah um, and how old would you you have been at that point good question so 86, 86, would i have been 16 1986, okay, so, I was born. Yeah, so. <laughs> teenager, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. were you tuned into what your your parents were trying to achieve at that point, or were you they're trying to do something? But so what? It's, no, I was tuned in yeah. because um, I can't remember the exact timing, but we'd been to Centre Parks on a family holiday, and I don't know if this was just before Mum and Dad set up the business or just at the same time, and me and Dad were had played, I think badminton. Desperately trying to beat each other, like you do with the two stags. Yeah. <laughs> Gone for a beer afterwards in the bar. And Dad had talked about either we're just starting a business or thinking of starting a business. You know, would you would you be interested potentially? Uh-huh. Or what does it look and feel like to you? And immediately I was I was very interested okay. straight away. Um So literally from we're setting the business up, your dad, Andy, had in mind that at some point you might be in and around this business. Yeah, and I think you that's were fair like to say. full in from day one. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. you really were invested in what's mum and dad doing and how's it going and all of these things early doors. Yes, albeit because it was so much in its infancy, and and I was gonna go, I was always gonna go off to university. Yeah. Um, I did law at Leeds University, so who knows what would have happened? So it, the conversations were there, but you know, as you know, in business, it's very difficult. Who yeah. knows what's going to happen in the first two years? I go off and do law degree. Um, your choice to do law degree was that always in with the thinking that you might come back into the business or were you going to go and do law regardless of what the family yeah. was doing I was going to go and do it anyway okay. like I liked school yeah um I suppose somewhat academic I, I did enjoy that so I was going to do it anyway yeah yeah um so I was tuned in you're right and and we had had some early conversations but it were a little bit like let's see how it goes mm-hmm. see how it pans out go do my thing yeah you know and yeah so you're off doing your thing. Yeah. Business is starting to grow. Yeah. 
tell me whether the next major mile, milestone is in, in that story of the, of the sort of company's growth and, and how you find your way back to the business. Yeah, so the business continues to grow. Mum and dad take on um, the first members of the team, mm-hmm. which is you know a remarkable milestone, really. Just taking on your first member of staff yep. is, as you know, that <laughs> changes yeah, the yeah. business hugely. And, yeah. Um, and the pressure that comes with paying someone else's mortgage and all of those things besides. Exactly, yeah. exactly that. Um, so when when would this have been? Oh, good question. I'm guessing now, but you could be looking at 2005, okay. six, seven, maybe in yeah. around there. Yeah. Um, and then they did move to aptly named Law Street. Would you believe? Okay. Which is half a mile away. Right. <laughs> from yeah. uh, uh, from our family home, and um, rented an office there. And then, yeah, started to build the team out. Tracy, who is now our FD mm-hmm. and 20% shareholder, joined in and around that time. Okay. She's been with the business like 17 years. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the business grew, developed, moved to rented premises, continued to bring on SMEs, yeah. help them with their HR and employment law for a fixed fee. Yeah. What I didn't say before is at the time, a new piece of employment law legislation had come out Okay. So when my dad did his law degree, he'd spotted that a new piece of legislation was coming out, which was going to change okay. the way people. So that businesses. was the thing that he tuned in on. That was the to, yeah. to give him that idea of there's a, there's an opportunity in the marketplace. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So from academia, effectively, yeah. where he spotted it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Thought that SMEs are going to need help on this. Yeah. It's going to change the way that you do certain things. Yeah. Um, so that's the entrepreneurial bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the business is growing. And where are you then? Where's your journey in parallel to this journey at Howard? So Howard's got he's got some employees now, and, yeah. and everything else is going on. What have you been doing in that time? You got your degree? Yeah, so I do my law degree. Yeah. Um, I then do my LPC legal yeah. practice course, and then do a two year training contract at mm-hmm. what was then Hammonds. Okay. Um, but with all respect to Hammonds, it wasn't a guarantee at all that. I was going to work at the family business. Hammonds were brilliant and I loved that training contract. Um, and I loved that whole journey. Mm-hmm. Um, a brilliant organisation. It's now Squire Pattern Boggs, mm-hmm. a different company. Um, but it wasn't a guarantee at all. Um, so, you know, who knows again what would have happened. It were all very incremental, uh-huh. but I were off doing that thing. So you were off building a career? Yeah, to qualify as a solicitor. Yeah. yeah. And, had you know, that first conversation your dad had on holiday in Centre Parks, had that been a reoccurring during that period or actually had it just gone quiet and you were left to go off and do your thing? Probably little conversations here and there. And I did do a little bit of work over summers as well and help yeah. out. So it was still, I was still in tune with it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I suppose you're just out of respect for mum and dad and perhaps without putting words in their mouth, the same from them to me. Mm-hmm. Try not to create a, a pressure or look too far into the future of what might happen. It was very, lots of respect for each other. Let's just take it incrementally, I think. It, perhaps in hindsight, easy to say this, but I feel like this was the feeling between us. Yeah. Let's just see how it turns out and whether it's right at the time mm-hmm. that it becomes a conversation. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about the time it did become a conversation. Yeah, so um, during my training contract, um, I had a great, like I say, just to repeat, I had a great training contract. Um and we kept, you know, we had a few conversations and it, as that time went on, it became apparent that it could be an option. And just for me personally, w- the chance to work with my mum and dad and at least give it a go just always felt like 
a no-brainer. Yep. You know, I didn't sort of sit for long and think, oh, could this work or what are the risks? So I just instinctively felt we could I'd at least give this a go. And yep. I'd love to work with mum and dad. We've always been really close as a yep. family as well. So, yeah, as the training contract went on... Um, so, that, you're now fully qualified? Yeah, well, you... I've become qualified at the end of my training yeah. contract, but before you get to that point, you have to sort of... A decent amount in advance start to say what you'd like to qualify into. Okay. The interview process starts in yeah. the big law firm of which department you might like. Yeah. So, early enough in that, I sort of said to to the business, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to apply for... Okay. particular seat because also with respect to the other trainees yeah, other it's very competitive and yeah. Yeah, yeah so look I'm I'm, I'm not going to apply and um, uh, yeah would yeah. leave the business and it was it wasn't easy because in some respects although having said you know that um, I instinctively felt it would be right but I was still leaving it what, what is now and what was then like a national global law firm yeah um a brilliant firm had a great training i'd made some brilliant relationships i did get some advice from some people in the organization that were like it's quite early like even if you do want to do it at some point in the future would you not be better well it's funny because that's what strikes me straight away yeah it feels really early to be making a call like that with all of the opportunity and experience that some of those bigger businesses bring yeah now you're going to say that you never look, but you know you don't regret it, and I understand all the reasons for that. Yeah. But you know you made the move into Howarth, and we'll talk about that shortly. But do you think having more experience, looking at that period now, having another couple of years' experience might have helped you in your transition into Howarth, or was actually you know what it was just the right thing? I think it was just the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think some context as well is my training contract started in two thousand and eight which was the recession, yeah. global recession. And my first seat was corporate finance, okay. which was quite a baptism of fire, really, mm-hmm. because co- corporate finance, in normal circumstances, is a baptism of fire for a lawyer, I yeah. think, a trainee, or at least I felt like that. Um, but then to do it in the biggest recession and global crisis we've had in a long time was... It, yeah, it gave it a very different feel because there were conversations going on internally about staff redundancies okay. restructures so the the culture the atmosphere at times was difficult so mm-hmm. um it just felt right yeah for me yeah in the circumstances it was a, a risk i suppose looking back in hindsight but i never really felt like that at the mm-hmm. time but you don't do you no you don't no. No, <laughs> no. You do. so you so you've taken the step you've told the guys there's there's been different people telling you some are positive some are saying it's a bit early mm. whatever so you take your first step into the family business. What position did you come in as when you came into the family business? An employment law advisor. Okay. Effectively. Yeah. yeah. So I was advising SMEs okay. on employment law. So you came in in a peer group of other people doing a similar job. Yeah, one or two. We okay. weren't a, of a of a huge size at that yeah. point. So yeah. Um, and how did it feel coming in as the you know the owner's son? And then there's other people that have been here a while. Talk to me about those early days and how that all worked. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's quite a well-told story, that, isn't it? Because it is difficult coming in as the son. In some senses, should it be easier because your dad's the owner? Mm -hmm. Um, I think he would say, and I would probably agree, maybe it was harder yeah. Uh, maybe he was harder as well because, and maybe I was harder on myself to prove 
to everyone that in my own right I am actually worth the position, not just because you know I'm the son of the yeah. of the owner. And did that need to prove yourself? Did that manifest itself in any things that looking back now you go, well, I'd actually have probably done that a bit different. I could have been more relaxed here. I would have maybe not done it like that. Is there any instances that come to mind? Yes, so many. (laughs) 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 It's like, which one? Um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, you do just make a lot of mistakes, don't you? If you're trying to push the business forward, push yourself forward, grow, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I did, and I think... um, Give me an example. Yeah, good question. I'm thinking more, actually, when I became managing director of quite a lot of mistakes I made then, probably, as opposed to back in those early days. I mean, that was 13 years ago now, but um, probably trying to overprove, yeah, overprove um, myself to to myself, did, did to my dad, that, did that to the colleagues. Did that manifest itself in long hours? Were you more abrupt with people than you maybe would have been in hindsight? Were you always trying to put your hand up to take every job on? Yeah, what prob- was prob- it, actually? Yeah, probably that, actually. That last okay. one's a good example of, of um, uh, trying to do everything and be all things to all people. Yeah. But I suppose at 24 as well, giving myself a little bit of slack, looking back at my old self then, or certainly I wasn't as adept at setting boundaries at that point or knowing really what setting boundaries was or, uh, you know, being able to manage your life in that way. It was just um, do anything and everything. You also don't have the um, experience at that point to really deal well with people. And you don't really understand what a 30-something is going through with kids or what a 40-something is going through with something that's happening in their life. You don't have any of that, do you? No. So it's always back on that people bit at that age because you think you can take over the world. You've just come in son of the owner, yeah. I'm going to prove myself. Yeah. And so looking back, you maybe pushed it a bit further than you. If you had to sit to someone else and there was another uh, you know, owner's son in this room right now, what would that be advice for that period of time when they were coming into the business? What would you be offering to them as advice? Good point. You just reminded me of something actually about the um, wanting to take over the world. Okay. <laughs> I think when you're in your right, let me speak for myself rather than generalise. You know, I I'm confident. I'm ambitious. I, I've always wanted to achieve a lot and and feel like I'm growing and and I think in your twenties or in my twenties when I was like that, um, I look back now and cringe slightly at what I was like then of that ambition. And I probably pushed a little bit too hard, too quickly for the next thing and pushing on. So an example of that was, this goes to when I was became MD, which was three years after I joined, so I was 27. The first year I became MD, we had a good year. Mm-hmm. So we got to the end of that year and I'm like, know what I'm doing here. Absolutely smashed it, done one great year. Mum, Dad, you ready to um, like sell out now or like, you know, get me involved, I'm ready. Okay. Clearly ready. Yeah. <laughs> One year. Yeah. <laughs> I look back now and like, you don't prove anything. So you anything. do three years to get to yourself to MD. Yeah. And then one year of MD. One year MD. And now I need to be the owner. Half decent year and I'm like, right, yeah. I'm ready to, you know, I'm an accomplished business person. Yeah. So that was, so big faux pas with your parents. Yeah. Get that. Talk to me about the rest of the team though. Because we'll come on to the parent, yeah. the, the succession generation dynamic shortly. 
but how your experience from being the owner's son, you've proven yourself now to the point where your parents at least think you should be the MD. Yeah. yeah. So that must mean other people are starting to get the idea that you should be the MD. Yeah. So what's changing that period between how you landed wanting to be the world's most ambitious person <laughs> yeah. to now I'm the MD and actually I need to think a little bit more broadly in terms of how I deal with people and staff and yeah. these things. So talk to me about that experience. Well, I, I suppose I, I tried to do it very incrementally, respectfully, um, collaboratively, which yeah. is still very much my leadership style now. I'm not an author authoritarian leader mm-hmm. whatsoever it's it is very collaborative i do listen a lot to the team around me and take advice and take heed of people with more experience yeah um would they the the team you've got today say that about you when you became md would they have felt that you were collaborative in all the things or is that a learned thing i think they would okay i think they would because it's it is my natural style yeah. it's just my inclination to be like that mm-hmm. um so i think they would not you know i didn't I don't look back at any part of that sort of managerial leadership bit and think I pretended I knew it all or, or really harsh to people. Mm-hmm. Or I wasn't really like that. Um, in fact, I even think sometimes now I'm, I feel like an untypical leader. You know, if you look at culture as a whole and the likes of Alan Sugar and you know, what we might regard as a hard business person, mm-hmm. I'm just not that. Yeah. Um, so I, I never really... What, I mean, you'd have to ask them, I suppose, but I, yeah. I, I just wasn't like that. Okay, so that's quite interesting then. So there's almost a, um, a Jekyll and Hyde dynamic here. So the, you, with the team, people focused in tune, collaborative. With your parents, gimme, 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 I need the shareholding, let's move this forward. Is that a fair yeah, summary maybe, of how that was? I, I, yeah, I think when I was younger, in my 20s, um, I pushed a little bit. Okay. Yeah. But that pushing was all with the parents rather than the wider business. Yeah, probably, okay. yeah, with mum and dad. But um, I just felt I had what it took yeah. to help the business grow and yeah. for us all to benefit as a yeah. result. Um, and you've proven it since. So th- it was yeah. there. Yeah. That that impatience, um, was there anything looking back now that you would say to others that are waiting to take on the mantle from their parents potentially? Is there anything that you would do different looking back that would be good life lessons for people that are the next gen that will be taking on the the, the ownership at some point yeah what would that what would they be i think i don't mean this to sound trite or obvious but the really are the most important things for me was patience mm-hmm. compassion empathy understanding you know you're talking about someone's baby aren't you that, that they've blood sweat and tears have they've created put the life into it and to do a transition from one generation to the next i think that second generation despite how ready they may feel or ambitious i think you just have to pay so much respect to the the owners if it's the parents mm-hmm. um, and be patient but then again at the same time as well i think you also have to demonstrate that you are ready because in our case, and again, not wanting to speak on behalf of Dad, he wouldn't have done the transaction. No chance would we have done the the, the succession mm-hmm. if he didn't hundred percent believe that I were ready. Mm-hmm. So you can't be too deferential, like in in your attitude, you know, because you have to be able to demonstrate you're ready for this, yep. and you've got what it takes to run a business. And as you well know, running a business, you have to have a little bit of steel. Yeah. Um. 
you have to have an edge. So I think, you know, your parents, in my case, my parents needed to see that mm -hmm. as well for them to say, well, actually, um, yeah, I do think he's ready. Yeah. He might tell me, but I also need to see it. Yeah. Um, How long was it between you ringing your parents up and saying, first good years in the bag, you know, it's time <laughs> yeah, to sell, yeah. and the actual point of when that conversation properly started to happen, when you, were, you, you genuinely got into the conversation about making that purchase? Well, that's a good question. Probably a good three to four years. Okay. And then the conversation itself yeah. would have made, been another three years. Okay, we'll come to the conversation yeah. itself in a minute. Yeah. So um, you've had your first good year as MD. Yeah. I'm the man. Yeah. It's taken you four <laughs> years yeah, to actually then have a proper conversation about moving this forward. Was that you starting to learn you needed to be more patient? Was that your parents saying, no, no, we're going to slow this down now and make sure he does demonstrate all of these skills that you need to have to feel comfortable to take it on? Who drove that pace? Because that's quite a long time to wait for an impatient person. It's a bit of both. And, and and of course, it has to be right. In our case, it has to be right for dad as well. Yeah. Like, you know, that I might say I'm ready. Dad might even see some seeds of me being ready. Yeah. But is he ready? Yeah. So, you know, whilst there's certain things in your control that you can demonstrate and do, the world has to kind of be ready for that to happen as well. So um, I think it was a bit of both. It was me understanding that as I got older and so into my late 20s, early 30s, Maybe you collect a little bit of wisdom on the way and realise, you know, one good year don't make you yeah. <laughs> an accomplished business yeah. person. Um, let's prove it over a few years. You've got a lot to learn, mm -hmm. a lot to learn. You're very green. Coupled with dad also is going through a transition in his life as well, again, without speaking for him about is he ready mm -hmm. and, and what does he want to do next? And so there was a good period of overlap, transition, mm -hmm. um, so your dad's controlling the pace for all the reasons you've outlined. Completely understand that. And yeah. that's what happens in a lot of the family businesses. Yeah. It's the person that's selling ultimately that dictates how that all's going to happen. You've uh, been uh, potentially impatient because you want it straight away. So how are you feeling frustrated? Are you accepting? Are you just quietly going about your business? Talk to me about the Gavin of that period and how he squares that circle because that'll be the experience of lots of people taking it on. Yeah. Um, so how are you and how did you cope with that? Yeah. Um, a, a combination of grateful for the opportunity, loving the job, learning a lot. Uh -huh. So that side of very um, trying to remain humble, learning a lot and genuinely enjoying it. And as time went on, starting to understand, I do have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. So hold your horses. But yeah, you can't sort of sugarcoat it too much to also periods of, um, yeah, maybe frustration, mm -hmm. like I'm ready to go. Um, can we move it on? Was but, there any, can you remember any particular triggers? So you know the pace now is that you've, uh, you control of your, your dad. Do you remember any of the triggers which really fired up the frustration? Things that you were like, this is obvious, we need to do this. And it wasn't going the way you wanted it. Oh, yeah. Um, specific specific examples yeah, within the business. Yeah, just something where you're like, oh, I, I need to do this quickly now. This is driving me insane. Yeah, I suppose there were moments. Because the, I suppose, let me see if I answer it this way by going back one. 
the other option to me becoming owner would be to be an MD, mm -hmm. an employed MD, if you like. So mum mm -hmm. and dad retain ownership and I be an MD, which many people may well say, absolutely great, no, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Collect a, a decent salary, earn money for the shareholders. So there were moments throughout that journey where I thought, you know, do I, is that right? Like, should I just, not just accept that, but should that be the right option? Mm -hmm. should, should that be right? Um, am, I, am I asking too much, wanting too much? Um, so yeah, there were there were periods of um, there were periods of frustration at times. Mm -hmm. um, but did you ever doubt that it would end, that it would happen? Maybe once or twice. Okay. Maybe once or twice, but I think ultimately, Adam, overall, like, and I hope this comes across right, is love mum and dad to bits. We've had we've got the closest relationship um, going, and I always said throughout, genuinely, and so did mum and dad. I'd ra I would genuinely walk away rather than fall out with yep. mum and dad. We had us frictions every now and then, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, in the early days when me and dad were getting used to working together, the <laughs> odd storming off, okay. doors, you know, yeah. shut a door slightly too hard, uh -huh. um, uh, cross words, but underneath it all, again, without wanting to sound too cheesy, was just a lot of love, a lot of respect, mm -hmm. and yeah, genuinely, I'd, I'd have walked away. Because also, you know, not not again, not sugarcoating that, I did feel like I could go get a career and earn an half decent salary and create a good life for myself without Howarths. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't want to. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted to work with mum and dad. I wanted to create family succession. Like you rightly said, if you go back right to the conversation 20 years ago, you know, dad had always hoped he could build a business that would, you know, be right for the family, mm -hmm. for me and Chris and for us. So we always had the hope one day that we could achieve succession. Yeah. Um, but you hear a lot of horror stories about family businesses, you know, it's splitting and mm -hmm. I've posted sometimes about it on LinkedIn or a lot. I used to do a few years ago and I'd used to get messages from people that would say, so nice to read your story. I'm really pleased it went well for you and your family. It didn't for me. I haven't spoken to my father-in-law in 10 years or I haven't spoken to my yeah. mum in five years or... I just wasn't, we were just not going to let that happen. Yeah. Not going to let that happen. So, I mean, that's really, it comes across really clear. It's core to what you want to do, the family wanted to yeah. do, and what the business was about. Yeah. So, you've gone through that, some roller coaster period. Yeah. And then, Andy, your dad, right, I'm ready. You sit down. How, talk me through that day, that conversation. How did that act? Did it, was it a point in time? Or again, was it one of those incremental things that just happened over months Incremental, months? yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember a, a meeting which was that kind of, this is a point in time that's, it was more incremental conversations here and there that sort of built up slowly in, in momentum, mm -hmm. in depth, um, where it started to become a little bit more serious, and yeah, actually, this this could be something. Can you remember a specific point where you're like, "This is going to happen now"? No, I don't think so. But because I'd probably liken it to the way I told the story about mum and dad starting the business mm -hmm. at home, me going off and doing my law degree, and us being very much like in the moment. You know, mm -hmm. let's just see what happens. Yeah. No. No pressure as such, or try and keep the pressure as low as possible. You know, it is a pressurized conversation, yeah. but try and keep it as low as possible. A lot of love and compassion. Let's see what happens mm -hmm. if we can do it right. 
um, then great. If we don't, we still have our relationship. Mm-hmm. So, was there anything on your dad's side that that triggered that? Right, this is the time. Was it a performance thing? Was it a family thing? Was there anything that was like, no, no, now is the right time? I suppose you'd have to ask him. Part of him might be like, I'm sick of Gav <laughs> <laughs> talking to me about it. But also, I think, um, you know, we had talked about setting up our own foundation. Yeah. So um, we'd wanted to do that as a family. We, you know, this was seven, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe even longer, actually, because the charity's been registered now for six, seven years as an official charity. Yeah. So we had that in our vision. Mm-hmm. So it became more apparent as we went on that actually dad would like to run that. Yeah. Um, would like to give something back. A lot of experience and expertise that would be great for that. Mm-hmm. So as that progressed... Um, it all just sort of fit into place. That really, became his it. focus. Yeah. That meant he couldn't give the business the time that it needed. That made the opportunity for you. Yeah, okay. yeah. And as obviously I'd become MD quite a few years before, mm-hmm. so we'd had a good period of learning the ropes. Like me and Dad working quite collaboratively. Then me taking more and more on. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad taking less and less, but all very incremental yeah. time because it's emotional. The whole thing is emotional because mm-hmm. it's family. So the whole journey, everything is, is there's a lot of emotions wound up. It, you're not talking about someone who's at arm's length, um, you know, a trade sale or someone you've never met before. It's it's all emotional. So what happens in the day goes into the night. What happens is, um, as business people, mm-hmm translates and transmutes into father-son relationship into mother-son relationship it's all very emotional and intertwined and i think because that's the case it needs to take time Mm -hmm. because you know coming to terms with for mum and dad again not wanting to put words in their mouth but coming to terms with the business not being theirs anymore that takes a long time that takes time understandably so um, and it should, and that's right, because mm-hmm. you, you've got to get used to it. And also, what what we didn't want to do, Adam, is do a deal, get all the paperwork signed, etc. And then there'd be anything left afterwards that was, I felt a bit rushed into that, or okay. I don't know if I was ready for that, actually, now I've got you. Yeah. Um, or, or, or any little shred of resentment or f- feeling that we shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to achieve that emotional contract if you will then you need to give it the right amount of time and that for you guys was three or four years yeah 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 three four i mean five years between the first conversation the very first yeah and signing on the dotted line yeah yeah but at that point you felt well it's gonna be mine so it doesn't matter how long it takes is that how you were feeling about it um yeah i suppose a little a little bit but again I, i probably Hopefully, it wasn't as presumptuous to ever think that. It was more just trying to be very much in the moment. Yes, hopefully it happens. I'd love it to happen. Mm-hmm. I th- you know, mum and dad as well would love it to happen. We'd like to achieve succession in a in a really cool way. But let's just take it week by week, month mm-hmm. by month, year by year. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Let's just keep the conversation. Every bit of the conversation we were very invested in at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it kind of worked was we'd have a conversation about something. And then it might be two weeks before you have another conversation because you needed two weeks of breathing space just to allow that conversation to relax, the dust to settle, for the emotions to settle about it. Uh So Um, with such a strong family unit, as you've described, and you're having these 
slightly tense type conversations, the two weeks in between, would you go straight back to family mode when you're going to the football or messing around with the kids or whatever? Or was it slightly tense through that period because you're still family and you've had a tense conversation? Were you able to compartmentalise or did it, or was it always hanging around? No, I think we were, in the main, able to cop compartmentalise the okay. conversation. Yeah, that was kind of... Look, Mum was really good on that. Yeah, okay. So, um, like, that's a work conversation and this is home. Okay. So, it was very like, you know, me and Dad might try and sneak off into the kitchen and have a quick conversation about work, but uh-huh. Mum would often, like, <laughs> yeah. find us out and, come on, you two, <laughs> we're not talking about work. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll talk about Leeds United. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So we did manage to keep it very com- compartmentalised. And a big part of that, Adam, I think, is that I can't praise Dad and Mum enough for um, contextualising the importance of work. Mm-hmm. So we've all worked really hard as a family. We all do work really hard as a family. But it doesn't come above family. Mm-hmm. Dad's always been brilliant at that. So yes, he's an entrepreneur. He's a fantastic businessman. He always has been. But his heart's always been really big. Mm-hmm. And he's always said to me as I was growing up, you know, don't treat this job too seriously. You know, mm-hmm. you got now, lovely wife at home, two great kids. And even now today, he's very much like that. So because we had a context of being able to set work in its rightful place mm-hmm. in all the categories of what makes life successful, in our opinion, mm-hmm. we were able to say, that's a work conversation. Yeah. Let's concentrate on what like, matters today mm-hmm. on a Sunday, which is the kids running around or Sunday yeah. lunch or yeah. Leeds United tours or <laughs> whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. So we did quite well yeah. in that respect. Okay, that's interesting. So we've got to the point you've signed on the piece of paper. Was it a celebration? Was it a, right, we're off out? Was it a big deal here? Or was it actually business as normal because it's been that incremental build? Bit of both. So business as normal in the business, I think, mm-hmm. because yeah, I'd been MD for, for an amount of time eight years maybe before the deal so to the team hopefully it felt quite natural and easy because it's kind of been you know I've been running the business for a period of time for us as a family what what was nice about the deal is we actually went back to Squire Patton Boggs okay so I I I maintained quite a few good relationships so I was really pleased to be able to instruct okay where I did my training contract the firm where I trained to do the share purchase agreement for us did you manage to tie in anybody that said don't go to do that No, work. I didn't actually. You should no, have definitely done that, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so you sat in their office. You're hoping some of the doubters are flirting around. They weren't, clearly. Yeah, no, no they weren't. Yeah. Um, so, so we went back to their office. They'd moved office since then, so I have this lovely fancy building now, a glass room that looks over Leeds, and um, we'd all gone there. And Dad had a relationship, a really good relationship with um, Paul Mann, who was the who was the partner who, mm-hmm. who did the deal with us as well. So we all trusted him as a family, which were brilliant. Yeah, and we all signed on the dotted line and um, we did have a drink afterwards. Mm-hmm. We had some sh- sh- champagne in the yeah. room itself. But I also, I think it was a mix between, you know, excitement, um, a new era, mm-hmm. some relief for everyone, I think, because the conversations like you've referred to are not easy. Yeah. I think as a family, it was a little bit, oh, it's nice to get that done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because also, uh, sort of what we haven't discussed is Dad had um, been di- diagnosed with cancer okay. in the middle of that journey. Okay. So one of the reasons why there was a five, you know, it took five years, I suppose, is because everything went on dad, hold. Yeah, Dad became yeah, ill as well. So, okay. um, 
So we'd been through a lot as a family together. Uh-huh. Um, so to get there was, yeah, a lovely moment. A lovely moment that we've managed to achieve it, keep our relationships intact. Yeah. Um, excited, excited for a new future, some relief. Yeah. I think we were tired on the day as well. Like we'd signed the deal, we'd gone out for a meal afterwards. Yeah. Tracy was there as well, so yeah. it was lovely for Tracy. Yeah. Um, almost family, you know, employee nearly mm-hmm. number one or yeah. two. Um, Tracy's shareholding went up as a result mm-hmm. as well. We all went out for a meal afterwards. And then, you know, we're like, oh, let's go home and rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and talk to me, how did you feel the next time you walked through the door here? Did you feel different? Was you, it like, you, hold on a minute. Oh, this has just got a bit real. You can't deny there's a change in in your in your feeling. Okay. There has to be, I think, because yeah. the book really stops with you now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as part of the transaction, the charge from the bank moved to my house. Okay. So that feels a little bit different. Yeah. Um, you now own the business in the majority, so it really does stop with you. Yeah. So it does feel a little bit different. There's no two ways about it. But again, because we'd done it at the time scale we had, I'd been MD for eight years, it wasn't a huge uh-huh. shock. It wasn't a shock for the team internally. We'd been working up to it. It was business as normal for them, really. Yeah. For me, I felt a little bit different because, as I say, I now own it. There's things like the charge going on your yeah, house, etc. A little bit of weight to carry now. Yeah, a little bit more yeah. weight to carry, perhaps. But by then, I felt very comfortable with that I was ready for that and I didn't have a problem with it really so unlike in other businesses where a generation takes over and then it's all changed because they've got this new vision and they want to do x y and z was there any of that that now you owned it or was it just carry on on the route it was just quite smooth um quite smooth because as I say because I'd been doing it for a few years before me and dad also you know whilst we're very different people and different styles fundamentally so tight on values mm-hmm. and what we believe in for the business so we didn't have that many clashes on the fundamentals of the business we you know we may have had ones about do we need a new website do, you know, do we need to uh, does the website need updating well, I don't think so I do you know things like that but yeah. fundamentally the way we operate in business and the values of what we believe in we've been such on a page about forever mm-hmm. because we're so tight as a family that we didn't have any f- fundamental disputes. So the business took a path that I think we were both always very happy with. So mm-hmm. when the transaction happened, it very much felt very natural. Yeah. It was a very yeah. natural transition. Okay, so let's talk business. Let's switch tack a little bit. So on the day you take over, what what are you doing? I mean, you've got three divisions. There's maybe the there's sort of three focuses now. Yeah, and there's maybe the international bit as well. Um what was it the business like then and how have you got from where the business was when you took over to today? Well, I think probably in my mind, what's more relevant is probably me maybe taking over as MD mm-hmm. as opposed to becoming owner. Okay, so that's where all the, the, the change started. I think so. That's yeah. where probably more market change. Because yeah. the, the takeover was only two years ago so yeah. um, and we'd already been on a path. But yeah, becoming MD, we... Added health and safety mm-hmm. as an offering, which we felt was complementary to what we already offered yeah. in the compliance arena. Yeah. We've then more latterly added HR growth mm-hmm. team, um, which which is brilliant. So so we did expand the service range. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you 
how do you test for that innovation? Or, or is it these things that you're doing and you realize actually customers are asking for it, we're sort of doing it, we need to separate out and invest? Or, how, or do you do an innovation process beforehand to work out how you're going to do one of these new ideas? The way we did it, putting it really simply on both the health and safety and the HR growth is listen to the customers. Okay. So it became apparent to me that when we were offering the employment law compliance service, mm-hmm. that you'd, you'd hear or come across in conversation that someone, a client might use another provider for health and safety or they needed some support on health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you only need, should only need to be asked one or two times before you start thinking... We should do, we this. do this. Like, yeah. why? Why shouldn't? Why aren't mm-hmm. we doing it? So that happened there. The the HR growth was again a similar thing. Like clients would say, "Okay, th- thanks for the advice on a disciplinary hearing. I understand the advice, and that really helps. I just don't actually want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to actually do the hearing. Okay, uh, I'd really like someone sat next to me or helping me. Qualifying as solicitors, that's not really a service that solicitors would give because mm-hmm. you know of privilege, and you're not trained to do that mm-hmm. either. It's more a HR function. So. Again, we only needed to be sort of asked one to two times before yeah. we thought, well... So how do you encourage your team to be doing that listening? Because it's not an obvious skill to be listening for those triggers to then and then have the the wherewithal and then the confidence to bring it to someone like you and say, yeah, well, we keep getting asked this. So how does that work here? Culture. Right. Culture, culture, culture. I think innovation is about... Innovation to me just means improvement. Mm-hmm. So I think... it. Sometimes the word innovation can feel some some mystical, far outreach concept that's only the the remit of Tesla or mm-hmm. uh, you know companies that we think of as very uh, advanced. But if if you think of innovation just as improvement, I very much like the the Japanese production model of Kaizen, mm-hmm. the one percent improvement. Yep. So think of it as improvement. How do we make incremental improvements every day, mm-hmm. little improvements across the business? Now. Yes, the board are responsible for that. I'm ultimately responsible for innovation in the business. But mm-hmm. as you scale and as you know, it's very difficult for you to cover all areas. You you become more and more off the coal face, yeah. and you need to build a team of people who want to improve. And now, I think the way you do that is build a high performance culture, mm-hmm. so that people feel psychologically safe enough, comfortable enough in their role, and invested enough in the mission and vision of the business to want. Mm-hmm. to bring these ideas to people. Yep. And I think you only get a couple of bites of the cherry. Okay. Because if a member of staff, and you hear it a lot, goes to their manager, who as you scale become then the first line, yep. and say, oh look, I think if we just had a little bit of paperwork at this point in the process where we got that bit of information, it'd make the process really good. Mm-hmm. And the manager say either doesn't reply, mm-hmm. forgets to reply, doesn't give it the light of day, then you might get one more bite at the cherry before then the member of staff says to another member of staff, a new starter or a new recruit, look, I won't bother saying out because they never listen anyway. Yeah. I won't bother raising it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there you cut off the line of innovation. Yeah. So there's a big there's a, a big piece of work, I think, for the SME community to do to build a culture which is high-performing, psychologically safe, mm-hmm. um, Full channels of communication um, that that create and foster a culture of innovation. Mm-hmm. And without getting on to, too big a picture, did you see the Be the Business report recently that was released? I don't think so. 
so that talked about how out of the top G7 nations, mm-hmm. the UK are sixth for productivity. Mm-hmm. So we've got a productivity problem. It's yep. quite well documented in the mm-hmm. UK that we've got a productivity problem. Five of the suggested measures for in- improving productivity, um, three of those are around people, yep. people things. Um, management and leadership mm-hmm. is a huge part of improving productivity. Yeah. Um, and that example we've just talked about there, which is a very sort of on the ground, simple example of how things can turn out, is a problem for SME businesses and yeah. productivity and innovation, management, leadership, mm-hmm. culture, yeah. high performance cultures. So what we try to build here, everything we sell, if mm-hmm. you like, particularly through our HR growth team, which is all about building high performance cultures, yeah. is what we do here. Yeah. Um, that's why I really believe in it and why we believe in it is because it's everything we try and do here. And it's a good reason, I would say, why over the last eight years, Howard's has quadrupled in size and and, mm-hmm. and and all the good metrics because we build a high-performance culture. Yeah. Do you get external help to help with the team doing that? Because you've got, you've got to foster that with your management team. So how, how does that work at Howard's? No, so a lot of it we do internally. Okay. I mean, Tracy is HR qualified as mm-hmm. well as being our FD. Yeah. So HR sits on our board. Um, I qualified as as a solicitor Mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot of Tracy and a lot of our HR growth team as well and the HR professionals and I love it. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm all in for it because I feel like HR for a long period of time, the people piece has been seen as a nice to have. Mm -hmm. And you can hear things in the SME market like, um, oh, what does HR do? They just add to the bottom line. They're always telling us what we can't do. a feeling of frustration what do they add and some of that is HR's problem in the way they communicate but um, I think now in a post-Covid post-Brexit world this no longer is a nice to have call it HR call it culture call it engagement high performance whatever you want to call it people this is no longer a nice to have and it's the difference between a business being here or not in the next five to seven years mm-hmm. um, you know one of the biggest risks for businesses now is recruitment and retention of the best talent yeah um so 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 sorry i've gone off <laughs> massive tangent there to answer your question we do a lot of it internally because we have our hr growth team yeah. we have hr experts in the business yeah. so um but we do we do use external resources well where mm-hmm. we feel like we've got gaps yeah so um, okay. but we we concentrate very much in howarths and it's exactly what we sell outside of howarths and that's why we believe in it so yeah. much and that helps with that whole authentic piece which we started on. Yeah. You know, you live and breathe what you do, the open door that you've talked about because that's what you do internally. You drive your business the same way you drive your customer's business. Yeah. It all helps that, right? It does. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Three last signature questions, short ones. So first one, what do you dislike about being a business owner? That's a good question. The obvious one would be to say, you know, the stress, the hours, but I can't say I dislike that probably. <laughs> On occasion. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can not... say the tax man if you want. Gavin, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, go on then, tax man. <laughs> um, no, that, that but... Um, what I try and guard against, I think, is my role as managing director becoming a part of my identity. You know, I think sometimes 
I feel like I need to check myself and make sure that, look, being a managing director is, I think, held in a certain amount of esteem in mm-hmm. Western culture and society, isn't mm-hmm. it? Oh, you run a business, you run yeah. a business. But the truth is, we just, it, it's only one part of who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, being a father, being a husband, being a son um, is is arguably more important than than that. Yeah. Um, so you dislike the uh, association with your title? I think I do. Yeah. Okay. So you, is that because you don't feel comfortable? Yeah, maybe. Uh, what, in my role, do you think? Well, what comfortable you with the title. I think the title, maybe, yeah. I think the title. I like leadership. I, I, I do like the idea of, you know, leadership, but... Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of uncomfortableness about the title and um, mm-hmm. I just don't want it to define me. You yeah. know, I feel like I'm more than that and we're all more than that, aren't we? Yeah. They're all more than our job. Yeah. Um, but I think in this type of society, you know, ultra-capitalist, high-growth culture and society, it can sometimes feel there's a lot of a weight attached to that when really... It doesn't mean much. No. Yeah. Okay, so flip it around. What do you absolutely, What do you love about being a business owner? The independence, the freedom... Um, the freedom to be creative, the freedom to build, the freedom to make change, um, the freedom for to run a business where we stand for something mm-hmm. and we mean something. Um, that's really important, I think, and I love that about business and particularly my role. Yeah, is the freedom to to drive those things. To drive those things. Yeah. Okay. Last one. If you could change one thing about the world of business, what would it be? To have more heart, I think. I think the world, there's a lot of great, there's so many great SME businesses that are doing such good work. Um, and I love the SME market. That's where we work. That's who our clients are. It's blood, sweat and tears. It's it's husbands and wives starting a business. It's friends. It's a brother and sister who go out on, the own, on their own. I love the ingenuity of it, the innovation, the invention. I think there's so much good work. I do worry about the business world from a, large corporation perspective um i think when we're driven so much on just profit maximization you know let the third of the uk working population is employed by big business mm-hmm. and that when you consider their supply chain as well it's actually their influence is much wider than that much bigger than that and these companies you know are so focused on profit maximization shareholder return um etc that I worry about where it takes us as a business community and I feel we should stand for more. It's mm-hmm. not all the responsibility of business, clearly, mm-hmm. government, media, etc. But I think the private sector has a massive part to play in creating and enabling a fair and just mm-hmm. society for everyone. And I just worry that if I could change one thing, I think it would be that the bigger businesses should be measured much more and be, should be held to account much more on what they do other than just make money mm-hmm. for shareholders. Yeah. ESG is playing a part in that. Call it ESG, CSR. I'm not bothered for the terms particularly, but just having a conscience um, and doing more than just making money, I think, uh, particularly at that level, I think, where you're at most risk of that not happening because of investors, shareholders, mm-hmm. etc. I think if we could change that part of the business community, we'd all be better off. Great. Gavin, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No worries. 
Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that hour chat with Gavin. I certainly did. There was a couple of big takeaways for me from that conversation. The first is that in any sort of succession planning or any time where the business is looking to change generations, patience is absolutely key. Uh, You'll have heard Gavin say a number of times the word incremental and how things just happen slowly and develop. And uh, I think that's a really strong message that, that comes from Gavin's story and patience really, really underlines the, the, the passing of the baton from his father to himself in terms of the ownership of Howarth. I think the other major thing that comes through from Gavin is just the respect that he holds for his parents and the journey that they've been on. And whilst he might have been impatient at times, uh, that respect for his mum and dad just shone through and, and made that he, he could be patient and, and still ultimately get what he wanted out of the business and ultimately taking on the ownership. The last thing that I think was uh, will always be a uh, uh, an item that I remember is just the strength um, that they have as a family unit. And, uh, you know, it shone through and really was a steer um, for, for discussions as they talked about succession. Um, and, and probably most impressively, that they were never going to put in jeopardy um, the relationship of the family above anything that happened in the business. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the listen, and I look forward to catching you with you next time. Cheers.